Welcome to the teaching ministry of pastors Carl and Cheryl Thomas. Our favorite verse is Habakkuk 2.14, where the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Consumed by that revelation, we are committed to recognizing, resourcing, and releasing high-impact ministries resulting in global glory, transforming lives to impact their world. We have a teaching that will impact you today. Now, let's get right into that word. Amen. So I was actually, I was with uh, uh, Glenn Smelter. We went to the hockey game on Friday night, and uh, I was sitting there, and I had uh, one of the staff from North Park was there, and he sat beside me and says, you're Carl Thomas. I said, I am. I said, you pastor Impact Church. I said, I do. He says, you guys are rocking down there. I said, we are. He says, yeah, that's what I'm hearing. What are you doing? I want to know what you're doing, because I, I just, it's just rumbling all over the place that Impact is rocking. What are you doing, Carl? What are you doing? I went, I said, that was just good to hear. <laughs> But he said, and he had a, a fellow from Iraq with me. He said, listen to Pastor Carl. He's going to tell us some stuff right now. And I'm like, wow, I'm under pressure. And they said, well, we're being intentional and we're engaging people and just engaging everyone. So we're engaging you and we want to engage you that this is your family here. That's why we're trying to get rid of the volunteer tag. Like, you know, I said, I volunteer at home. I, I do the dishwasher every once in a while. And my wife's like, you volunteer? You're not a volunteer. You're a part of the family. Get with the program. You're a part of the family here. And, you know, as a family, we work together. We serve together. We do things together. We're proud of what we're doing here. And uh, we just really believe called us, has called us to something good. But we can't do it alone. It takes all of us to do it together. Can I get a hallelujah? So how many are having fun reading your Bibles? How many just think this was a great idea? You had no idea how much of a blessing it would be? All right, the rest of you have fallen behind, obviously. You know, a little behind. How many are still back in January trying to catch up? All eyes closed, heads bowed. All heads closed, eyes bowed. Okay. But it's been a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed it. And, but this week, how many have been a little bit, oh, this is Leviticus and stuff's a bit, a bit weird? Anybody? How many got a little sped read through a bit of stuff? Went, what? The, a, a sacrifice for what? And, and, and oh, my Lord. And then, you know, what? And, you know, it's so anyway, but there's a lot of really, really good stuff in Leviticus. And it's good. And we're going to talk about some of it today. But there are three guys who uh, raised by a really wonderful mom and they prospered and they all were very, very successful and did really, really well. But they decided, you know what? We should, we should take care of mom. We should get her a real special gift. So they all on their own decided to get a special gift. And, and then they came together later on and, and met with mom to talk about the gifts they'd given. And the, the one brother said, hey guys, look, I, I gave mom a brand new big stretch Mercedes bands and her own driver and the whole thing and now mom whenever she's got to go somewhere boom she just you know she just you know carries on with the driver and they wow and the other guy says well, look where we are new address got mom this new house isn't it great look at it beautiful state-of-the-art all that stuff and then the other son said you know well if you're gonna you're gonna see that I gave mom something awesome I gave I gave mom a parrot that for 12 years has been trained by the elders of this church and this parrot has learned every single scripture in the Bible you just just got to say Leviticus 1960 and go it just boom it's just an amazing thing so she can this parrot can any scripture anything she wants at any time so so they call mom and mom what'd you think of the gifts and she said well actually that Mercedes I never go out I'm a homebody and the fellow who's the driver he's rude I don't even like that gift so I went wow it's a great gift says, and this house are you kidding me I like the little apartment I had I only need about 300 square feet to live in I barely move around anymore now I got to see that this whole place is clean it's terrible but but you, son, you, that chicken you gave me, that was tasty. <laughs> Come on, that was funny. Come on. 
How many are still trying to get it? Where, where was it? Who gave the chicken? Who? Okay. Where is Maddie when you need her? All right. We're going to, the most important chapter in the Old Testament, we're going to read it today. We're going to refer to it today. You can read the whole thing. This is the most important chapter in the Old Testament. And if you've avoided the book of Leviticus, you've been avoiding the most important chapter in the Old Testament, the most important day in the year of the Jewish life of, of a Hebrew community, the most important day is the Day of Atonement. And it's all in Leviticus 16. So we're going to go to Leviticus 16, and we're going to look at this passage of Scripture. At the start of Leviticus 16, talks about fire. In Leviticus 9.24, it says, Fire came out from the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Leviticus, we're in the book of Leviticus. So fire came out. When they set up the first altar, they set up the tabernacle, they put the first sacrifice on the altar. That sacrifice was not burnt with a fire that was initiated from human hands. The fire for that sacrifice came from the presence of the Lord. So so the fire that burned up and consumed the first sacrifice was fire from on high. Now, that fire was to be the fire that they kept always. Said, remember, the fire must be kept burning on the altar at all times. It must never go out because it's the fire of the Lord. Even when they traveled, they had specific instructions of how to take fire, take coals from that altar. And when they traveled with the tabernacle and they set everything back up, the fire was never to be out, never out. So that fire that was again burning on the altar was the fire that they carried with them. The same fire is the same fire. They did all of their worship, everything that they did to the Lord. All the incense burnt everything in service to the Lord. It was all done by one fire. That one fire, the fire of the Lord, had to be tended and taken care of, and nobody did anything to the Lord except by the fire that came from the presence of the Lord. Wow, that's interesting. What's that got to do with us? Well, lots. Give me another slide there. Uh, Leviticus 16.1 starts with, The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of Aaron's two sons. Aaron's two sons died. They died. And you see, they died because they brought the wrong kind of fire. Who died after they entered the Lord's presence and burned the wrong kind of fire before him. They took their gifting. They took their calling. They were uniquely called to do something special, and they missed the instructions. And the instructions were that the only fire that burns in my presence, the only thing that you will use on your censers, on the altars, in the incense altar, anywhere, the only fire that you will do, the only fire by which you'll come before me or minister on my behalf or before me, it's the fire that is sent from heaven. Again, Pastor, what's that got to do with us? Well, they thought they could operate in their calling with their own fire, their own strength, their own talent, and their own ability. And you see, we can happen, and that can happen to us today. See, every one of us are to be led by the Spirit of God. We're to be led by the fire of God. And anything you do that's not initiated by Him, it doesn't register. It has no eternal results. Thank God fire from heaven doesn't consume us every time we operate in the flesh. But don't operate in the flesh. Don't do that. You know, if God's not telling you to do something, don't do something. Sometimes the best prophets I know are the ones who say nothing because God's not saying nothing to you. Nothing is better than something if it's not from God. And so we always want to be sure that everything we do, we are motivated completely, fully, absolutely. Because we can fall into patterns. We can fall into liturgies. We can fall into exercises where we do things that God never asked. 
And then we can get used to operating in the flesh. And then we get used to not recognizing that the Spirit of God is absent. Remember that sad, sad scripture where Samson got up as he usually did and he did not realize the Spirit of the Lord had left him. And it's a horrible thing to operate and do ministry and not realize that his Spirit is not on my life and what I'm doing is not out of his fire and his presence. Give me another slide just for fun. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Just, that's just terrible right there. But if you live according to the spirit, you'll put the deed, the, the deeds, death, the deeds of the body. You will live for as many as are led by the spirit of God. These are the sons of God. And then in Thessalonians, it says, don't quench the spirit, which literally means don't put out the spirit's fire. When you're born again, you're born again of the fire of God. It's the fire of heaven. You're baptized in the fire of heaven, and you're baptized with the Spirit of God because apart from him, I can do nothing. And you need to live every day of your life, everything that you do, all of it, always covet every day that you are led by, controlled by, and moved by the fire of heaven, the Spirit of God. Can I get an amen? All right, that's good. Pastor Cheryl's going to open a bottle of water for me. Everybody watch. Oh, that was so awesome. So good. All right, so now we're going to get further into Leviticus 16. Are you ready? All right, so the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. The Day of Atonement, Yom means day, Kippur means atonement. So the Day of Atonement, Leviticus 16, 1 to 34. These verses are the last few verses. I'm not going to lead, read the whole chapter to you, but at the bottom it says, On that day, offerings of purification will be made for you. Say, for you. They'll be made for you, and you will be purified in the Lord's presence from all your sins. Say, all your sins. Man, this is so good. On that day, offering will be made for you, and on that day, purification will be made for you in the presence of the Lord, and you'll be free, set free from all your sins. Here's your responsibility. That day for you is a day of complete rest. That day for you is a day of complete rest. Complete rest for you. You must deny yourself. Some believe denying yourselves meant fasting, but it meant deny yourselves of anything else. Don't work. Don't think about anything else. Focus. Deny yourself. Get focused this day. Pay attention because something powerful is being done on your behalf. Next slide. Boom. This is a permanent law for you. It's permanent. It's permanent to purify the people of Israel from their sins, making them right with the Lord. So there's purification from sin, the deliverance from sin and the power of sin, but it's also a reconciliation and a union with the Lord. And you do it once a year, and Moses followed all these instructions exactly as the Lord had commanded him. Amen. All right, Passover. Say Passover. Passover, we celebrate Easter. Passover is the Passion Week of Christ. Passover is, is that whole feast where they brought the lambs. Remember, everybody brought a lamb. But Passover, here's some things about Passover. Every family participated. Everybody was involved. Every single family had to have a lamb. And if your family couldn't eat the whole lamb, then you were to do it with another family because the lamb had to be totally consumed. So it was the blood of that lamb got put over the uh, doorposts of your life, over the doorposts of your residence. So there was a Passover of the death angel. There's a Passover. But the lamb had to be totally consumed and you had to be ready to go. So you had the blood on the outside, the lamb on the inside, your shoes on, ready to run, ready to go because you were expecting absolute freedom and deliverance because of the lamb, the lamb of God. Picture of the lamb of God. Jesus was called the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the whole world. But this is Passover. Passover, a lamb for every household. Passover it was personal forgiveness. Every 
everybody was engaged. It was personal forgiveness and deliverance. It was repeated every single year. There was temporary and limited results, and it foreshadowed, it pointed to Jesus. So it's a feast that God wanted them to repeat and repeat and repeat because he wanted to ingrain on them that there was going to come a day that there would be a lamb. There would be a lamb of God. There would from God come a deliverer, and through his work, they would be totally set free. But the day of atonement, total different day. On this day, only the high priest is working. Most important chapter in the whole Old Testament. Most important, most important day on the calendar in the Jewish world even today, Yom Kippur. All others observe absolute, complete rest. One person is doing all the heavy lifting. I don't know when the last time is that you sacrificed a bull and butchered a bull. I don't know when you're reading all of Leviticus, I think the priests were really just Holy Ghost butchers. <laughs> you know, they're just carving meat all the time, it seems. You know? But I don't know about you. Nobody's working. Nobody could help him. He had to bring this bull in. He had to carve it up, cut it up. And all the rest of the folks are just watching. And he did the bull for his own sin sacrifice and for sacrifice. Before this, all the temple was cleansed that day. And again, freshly set apart for the purpose of God. Then he had to take the goats. And you see, so this, this, the sacrifices on the Day of Atonement are totally different from the Day of Passover. Can I get an amen? So on the day of Passover, we got a bull and we got two goats. Two goats. Not Jamaican goats either. They're, they say they're probably Syrian goats. I don't know why, but that's what tradition tells us. Have you ever had Jamaican goat, curried goat? It's good stuff. That stuff's good. You know. Anyway, so, so everybody's watching. Everybody's different sacrifice. And here, it, it's not an individual thing that every individual is all, although the, the whole corporate body got delivered through Moses. Here, it's one big mass of corporate purification and union done by the act of one high priest. Totally unique. And this, again, it's repeated every year because we want to get this established in your lives every year because this actually didn't have the power to completely deliver you, but this was a type and was a picture of a future. But your faith in this, your faith and your belief in this before the cross, because of your faith in the promise of God, you experienced the deliverance. But every year they repeated it. It was temporary. It had limited results. But again, it foreshadows Jesus. Amen. Say thank you, Pastor. Amen. I mean, goats. Say goats. Goats. Okay. So lambs and goats. Passover, totally different day. Atonement's tied to a totally different feast than the Passover. And the day of atonement is very important for us to understand. Atonement. Say atonement. See, what Jesus did, he won atonement for you. And atonement, you can say at one meant. I have been, because of the atonement, I am at one with God. And every everything that would limit my experience with God, anything that's distasteful in me or any experience, has been totally abolished, and I have been brought into absolute union with the Godhead. And what did I do? What was my involvement? I only stood and I watched. My involvement was complete and absolute rest. Sadly, a lot of places, they get you in a whole bunch of works and all the stuff you got to do to get yourself one with God. Your oneness with God is purchased for you, one for you, brought into manifestation for you by another person. And all of this pointed to there is a day when you will only observe. There is a day when you can stand in complete rest and God himself will cut a deal with God himself and he will bring you into absolute union with himself and remove your sins, past, present, and future forever. Most important chapter in the Old Testament. And if you avoided Leviticus, you never read it. 
Big deal. It's a big deal. So let's look at it, all right? Passover and atonement, atonement, definition of atonement, reconciliation, agreement, satisfaction, reparation for a wrong or an injury, amends. Theologically, the doctrine concerning the reconciliation of God and humankind, especially as accomplished through the life and the suffering and the death of Jesus Christ. Number one, the work of the priest. He humbled himself, put on simple garments. See, the priesthood, if you studied and you've been reading, you saw the priest had some pretty cool gigs. I mean, he had some nice outfits. I mean, pretty expensive stuff too. Colorful, gold, all kinds of amazing things on the high priest's garments. But on the day of atonement, what did he put on? He put on his linen underwear and a linen tunic and a linen turban, a little white outfit, nothing complicated. It was a very, very simple, simple approach. What does that represent? It represents that Jesus, our high priest, emptied himself of divinity and he became just like us. He came down and he humbled himself. He condescended to come into our realm. God became flesh and dwelt among us so that he could take our sins, so he could identify with mankind and take the sins of the whole world on himself. He humbled himself. He became Jesus, became flesh. He works alone. You know, Peter was saying, I'll go with you, Jesus, I'll go with you. And he said, I got to go alone. Nobody can go with me. Nobody. There's no help. You cannot add anything to the cross. Please get that. If anybody's telling you, yes, yes, the finished work of the cross, and, or but, ands and buts, just drive me crazy. Oh, yeah, pastor, God's really good, but, but what? But we've got we've to stand still and observe and believe and do absolutely nothing in the realm of redemption. And that's not just to get in, that's to continue. That's why Paul said, who bewitched you that you're now trying to, in the flesh, trying to appropriate what can only, you started in the spirit, and now you're trying to appropriate in the flesh what can only be one in the, it began in the spirit, it continues in the spirit, it'll be completed in the spirit. You cannot add a single work of man. There's no good, great idea you could ever have that you say, Jesus and this great idea will get you further in the kingdom. It's rubbish. How many love that word rubbish? I like it. But there's so much rubbish in church today that people have added to this treadmill of religion and there's so much performance. And honestly, folks, I'm beginning to find that the charismatics have way more performance and religious rituals than some of the simplest of people. I mean, the Baptists believe it's all Jesus. He does it all and they believe that. But we charismatics, yeah, but then you got to jump high enough, shout loud enough, bounce around enough. You got to do this. You got to do 40 ways to the 21 reasons. I'm, oh my goodness, being a charismatic is a lot of work these days. You know what? What is your role? Only rest. Only. You rested God completely. Say rest. I mean, why didn't they get in the promised land? Why? Because they refused to enter the rest of God. Here's a, here's a paradox. Make every effort to rest. You gotta make effort to rest because the flesh constantly wants to manifest. You gotta make every effort to make sure that it begins with God, it continues with God, and it sums itself up in everything I do in God. Amen. Okay, that was good. All right, so he went to the cross alone. He's our representative. It was substitutionary ministry of Jesus. But then in the end, the high priest, when he was finished the job, he was to put on all of his beautiful royal robes. See, because once the whole thing was done, after you finish that work, you're glorified. And what did Jesus do once he finished the work? He entered back into glory. He sat at the right hand of the Father, sat enthroned, reigning and ruling. Boom. Humbled himself, but in the end, he was glorified. Amen. Okay, so there's the work of that high priest. And what are we doing in, in our study? What are we doing? It's called the Jesus trip because we're going through the Old Testament trying to find 
Jesus. So this is a good place to see Jesus. So let's look at us. What's our job again? Real simple. The posture of the people. Complete rest. Deny yourself. And literally just this. Pay attention. Something amazing is happening. And I want to establish in you. I want you to get a full manifestation of what your role is in this whole aspect of redemption and your sanctification and your glorification and everything. I want you to understand all of that stuff is taken care of on your behalf. All right. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not of yourself, it's the gift of God. Sure, you're saved by grace, Pastor, but then you got to work your butt off to stay pleasing to him. No, you don't. See, that's, read Galatians, study Galatians, and you'll find out, study Acts chapter 15, you'll find out that that was the, the Pharisees and the Judaizers. Those were the people that kept on attacking Paul, because everywhere he went and taught the gospel of Jesus Christ, they came and said, yeah, get saved through Jesus, but then gotta obey the law, gotta get circumcised, gotta, 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 gotta. You add anything to Jesus, you have a different gospel. That's what Hebrews is all about. It's a different gospel when you add rules and regulations and all that stuff. Because now out of Jesus, I now become everything I am by completely yielding to his leadership. By I don't have outer regulations. I have inner love. I have inner freedom. I have his laws are not written on the outside of me, but they're written on my heart. Being kind is not something, okay, I got to do my best to be kind today. Kind isn't something I do. Kind is who I am because it's a fruit of the spirit of God in my life. Okay, I better add some kindness to my life. You know, I'm trying to duct tape some kindness to the tree so I look like a believer. No, you see, kindness comes from just drinking uh, of the relationship you have, drinking deeply of the love of God and the freedom that is expressed in your life. You know what pops out in your life? Kindness, love, freedom, self-control. It all manifests itself because you're drinking from the one stream and you're not trying to do it yourself. You're embracing the life of God. You scratch that out. So they're going to get really excited right there, but apparently. Okay, let's look at the two goats. Goats, say goats. Two goats. All right, number one. Boom, right there, the two goats come up, and they got to take one goat. One goat's got to be chosen to be sacrificed, and the other goat's going to be called scapegoat. Say scapegoat. All right, we are in a big, massive scapegoating culture. We're probably in a time and a season where there's never been so much scapegoating going on in the world. But let's talk about the first goat. The first goat is the sacrifice goat represents propitiation. Say propitiation. You should understand propitiation. You should be able to define it and understand it because you're a good believer and you go to Impact Church. Thank you. All right, because look what it says. He himself... Not he is our pro, a propitiation, but he himself is the propitiation for our sins. What are you going to do with your sins? He himself is the propitiation for our sins. Yes, Jesus is my propitiation. Yes. Pastor, what is propitiation? What does that mean? Well, you need to know what it is because something was done with your sins and it's called propitiation. And not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. <laughs> propitiate to appease and to reconcile he has appeased he has settled every issue and he has reconciled me to the father sin was a blockage sin caused separation but you know what he has dealt with every single thing Jesus is the propitiation he's the one who satisfies every single situation he's the one who is the propitiation for it not me my faith in him as the finished work so boom that's what it represents all right let's move on you ready all right so boom what else uh, let me find my notes. Here it is. All right. In propitiation, Jesus became sin. In propitiation, 
Jesus became sin. Jesus became sin. He became sin. 1 Corinthians 5.21, for he made him, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Jesus became sin for us. This is propitiation. Jesus became sin for us. Why did he do that? That we might become the righteousness of God in him. So how do I get righteous? Because we need righteous people, amen? Let's get some righteous folks. I go to prayer meetings and say, we want righteous people in government. We just pray, Lord, would raise up some righteous people. I'm going, man, where do you find righteous people? And it, it sounds like so much. We're waiting for somebody to finally be righteous. We need to be a righteous nation. We need people to suddenly perform well enough that God's pleased to come. We could never, ever do the righteousness of God. Ever. The righteousness God demands is his righteousness, and you could never do it on your own. Never. The righteousness that he demands is a gift from God that we might become. See, he became sin so that I can become righteous. He went very low so I could be lifted very high. And are you lifted high today? Absolutely. Can you any, be any more righteous than what God has done for you? No. Can you improve on it one bit? No. Can a righteous person act like an unrighteous person? Yes. Does it make them unrighteous? No. Because what he did was he totally changed your nature. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. All things passed away. All things became new. The weird thing is that a righteous person can do an unrighteous act. But here's the thing. You don't become unrighteous or unholy just because you did something stupid. That's the mind-boggling thing. That's what confuses so many people. If I'm the righteous of God, why to behave like that? Then the enemy piles on and he says, maybe you're not even a believer. Maybe it didn't work for you. Maybe you're not even born again. But that's a lie from the pit of hell because what do you do? You have to stand and observe and stand in faith. When do you need faith? When do you need to exercise faith in the righteousness of God? When? When you're not acting righteous. When do you need faith in the fact that you're a child of God? When you're not manifesting his sonship, when you're not manifesting who you are, that's what you need to say, I really screwed up today. I've blown it. I've had several months of being a real moron. I can't believe I'm a child of God. That's when you go, but I am a child of God. I am a child of God. That's who I am. And that's when you really need faith. You don't need faith if I've been perfect all week long. That's not faith. That's called self-righteousness. And that stinks. I want to hang around with a lot of people who know what it is to say, thank God he delights in showing mercy because I could use some. Am I the only one? All right, Jesus became every sin, every sin. Think about it. Just in your mind, be careful, but think about the vilest sin you could ever you know, conjure up. Not that you would perform, but think about some of the most evil people in the world who've done some horrible stuff. Jesus on the cross became every single evil act, past, present, and future. Every act of fallen mankind was put on him at the cross. And that's why it says some lump of flesh. I think that's a man they hung up there. I'm not even sure. I'm pretty sure they what did they hang up there? Because it was just a lump of beat up flesh. He, on that day in six hours, took all the sins of all of mankind that had ever been created or, or ever committed or ever will be committed. And every single one of them, Jesus took them that day. Does that mean that everybody is forgiven? No, it means everybody can be forgiven and what's necessary to forgive everybody has been accomplished. All they got to do is say, am I forgiven? Are you telling me I'm forgiven? I am telling you you're forgiven. I agree. 
And when you agree, you know, that forgiveness becomes manifest in your life because the blood had to be shed, but the blood's only efficacious when it's applied. And you have to apply it to your life. Thank God for the blood. Thank God for So he became sin. Think about that. All right, the fullest degree of it, every bit of it, was put on Jesus. Next. For our propitiation, God condemned sin in Jesus Christ. Please pay attention. He condemns sin in Jesus Christ. So you're never going to get condemned for sin. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You will never experience the wrath of God as a believer. Never. And somebody last night going, so I, I never, I, I don't have to worry about ever experiencing, are you a believer? Yes. You'll never experience the wrath of God. The wrath of God, some think the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus. Well, in a sense it was, but it really wasn't because it, Jesus didn't deserve it, but Jesus did get it for this one reason. The first thing I said, he became sin. The wrath of God was poured out on sin. What sin? Past, present, future. Every sin. The wrath that had to be poured out on sin in every generation, once and forever, that wrath was poured out on Jesus. That's why it's called the Day of Atonement. And that cross, that day, it's not an opportunity for atonement. It's not the pathway to atonement. It is the day of atonement. It is the day that you got absolutely, totally set free from your sin, the power of sin, the wages of sin, and you were reconciled with God. Please say amen, even if you don't understand it. Just say amen. So for the law, what it could not do was weak through the flesh. God did it. God did it by sending his own son in the likeness. He wasn't sinful flesh, but he was sent in the likeness of it so that he was sent in a place in likeness so that because of the likeness, he could become the one who became the propitiation. He had to become like us to be even qualified to take it all on. So he had to become one of us because a man screwed it up. A man had to take the whole thing back. He became like us in sinful flesh. God sending his own son. What did he, why did he do it for? Why? Why? On account of sin. That's why he did it, on account of sin. So what? He condemned sin in the flesh. Katakrino, one of the most strong words for condemnation you could ever find. Similar to the word catastrophe, disaster. I mean, this was a disaster for Jesus in the flesh. What happened to him was catacrino. It was catastrophic. It was a complete, utter disaster for that man, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He totally became sin for us, and then God Almighty did not pour wrath out on his son. Well, God had to beat the crap out of somebody. You'll get a lot of theologians that'll tell you that. You get a lot of others who, I agree with all my friends, but I agree with those who understand. Now listen, I go to the family circle, and I have breakfast, and I walk out, and I don't pay. And then Cheryl goes for lunch, and they say, Cheryl, we saw your husband here. He didn't pay for breakfast. And then Cheryl pays for my breakfast. And then I go back in at supper time, and I say, man, I owe you guys for breakfast. They say, no problem. We forgive you. Wouldn't you find that a little suspect? Why would you find that suspect? Because I'm not really being forgiven. Cheryl paid. Follow this through, folks. God the Father forgives me because Jesus paid my bill. You know what you're saying? There's really no forgiveness. See, if somebody else had to pay for you, somebody paid. There was no forgiveness in that at all. It was a transaction where somebody had to get paid off for you to be free. And that's not atonement. 
Somebody had to deal with sin, but he did it once and for all. And what's your job? Stand in total and complete rest and just receive your freedom because he has done that so that you can be forgiven. But it wasn't like the devil had to be paid off or the father's wrath had to be paid off. What had to happen was a victory had to be accomplished over fallen mankind. The enemy had come and deceived and taken from God and he had to be destroyed. Victory had to be achieved over the one who came and was robbing and was affecting God's creation. He had to be obliterated. He had to be destroyed. He wasn't paid off. The devil wasn't paid off. He was destroyed at the cross. It wasn't like, yeah, I'll give you 50 back for my people. Well, 100. I mean, how much will it take? It'll take the death of your son. That's not what happened. It wasn't like, you kill your son and I'll let you have these people back. Please, you don't even have to have half a brain to figure out that's nonsense. Let's move on from Catacrino. The Godhead was involved in the propitiation. Now, some people even say this is the point where because, you know, God had to let his son die, he had to turn away. It's rubbish. A lot of people go like, God can't look on sin. Well, and Jesus must have walked through his whole life as a friend of sinners. Hey, guys, how you doing? Sorry my eyes are closed today. Pass me, pass me the, the meatloaf, please. I'd like to open my eyes, but I can't look on you guys. You're all sinners. Jesus was a friend of sinners. Or, or was he partially God then? Maybe he wasn't fully God, so we could hang out with He was fully God, every bit God. Where was God the Father when Jesus was in the cross? Where was he? That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and, was, and has committed to us the words of, or the word of reconciliation. You can't even give somebody the word of reconciliation if you don't know what it is to be reconciled. Like, I mean, hi, I represent Hoover vacuum cleaners. Well, how does Hoover work? I have no idea. But I was sent here to get you to buy one. Well, why should I have one? I don't know, but if you buy one, I get some money. I'm not buying from that guy. A lot of believers don't even know what the good news is. They don't even understand how incredibly beautiful the gospel is. And we're preaching, you know, you've got a messed up life. If you come to Jesus and behave like us and take 25 courses and 35 lessons, and if you oh, solemnly swear that you'll follow Jesus every day of your life and have no fun forevermore, you could have eternity with Jesus. That's what I think some people think the gospel is. Join our club of holy people. You don't have to be like the world anymore. We're special. We're just like the world. We just cover it. Not this church. I'm talking about the one in Wagga Wagga land. <laughs> Not you folks. The Godhead was totally involved. We'll see another verse later where you'll see the spirit was involved in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. The whole Godhead was involved in propitiation. Another slide. Boom. God's wrath was poured out on sin, and God's wrath poured out on sin secures our propitiation. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we have been saved from wrath through him. I got one hallelujah in the front row. How many are still wondering, I really hope I got this right. I really hope that I'm being a good believer. I'm going to do my best, but I'm really not sure. But I hope when Jesus comes that I did it right. And I hope I don't fall in the wrath trap, you know. But, you know, so God, oh God, I hope I did. It's not about you doing it right. It's about you believing that he did it right. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question right now. Jesus really came. He really came. He really was the son of God. He really did die. I mean, Peter preached. Peter said, you Jews killed him. The Romans killed him. You know, sadly, the church says the father killed him, which is rubbish. But he really did that. 
And then he was raised from the dead and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that everything he did, he did as propitiation for you to once and for all obliterate sin, even the sin you're committing right now by questioning your pastor's intelligence? Every single one of them, if you really believe that, listen, you've been saved from wrath. You don't have to be walking around, man, I really hope I got this right. I hope I'm going to the right church. I hope, hope, hope pastor's preaching the right stuff. You don't have to worry about me. You just have to believe, what do you believe about Jesus? And then you're free to let the pastor preach rubbish every once in a while, and you still love him and think he's cute. But your faith's not on me. Your faith's on the finished work of the cross, and you know. And your faith's not in other people's performance at all. Your faith is straight up your own personal revelation that he is indeed my Savior. All right, good. Well, let's go on. This is all what happened here. This, this is what happened with the, the goat that was taken and, and his blood was poured on the mercy seat. It was all done for propitiation. Hebrews 2.14, and as much as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might make a deal with the devil. He might pay him off, give him 50 or 60 bucks to get Carl out of jail free. No, he died on the cross to destroy him who had the power over death. That is the devil. Where is the devil? He's destroyed. He's obliterated. He's under your feet. The only thing he's got working for him now is he will lie to you and tell you he's not. And if you don't think he is, then in your little world, he isn't. But in the great big cosmic world of redemption, he was obliterated and destroyed at the cross. It says he led captivity in triumph. That was a whole picture of somebody who won a great victory and then they had a party just to show everybody, look at what we destroyed, look at what we obliterated. And they'd lead them in a procession to show that they've been humbled, they've been crushed, they've been destroyed. So what do we do? We're not even involved in the fight. We are invited to the end party of we are commanded to live only in a place of victory as more than conquerors, in a place of complete and total rest. All right, give me another slide because I'm moving along. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be to God. This was the procession. But thanks be to God who gives us the party, the triumphal procession through our Lord Jesus Christ. Where did you get victory? Jesus gave it to me. Are you in victory every day? Absolutely. Oops, it's Wednesday. He doesn't give victory on Wednesday. Wednesday, you're on your own. Oh, careful, devil, careful. He constantly, always leads me in triumphal procession, gives me, gives me, gives me, gives me victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The atonement has achieved victory for us over sin, over death, and over the devil. There's no payoffs. Nobody had to get beat up except the devil. And the devil got destroyed. He got vanquished. And God has secured again his eternal purpose. Give me another slide because I have no idea where I am in my notes. Okay. Scapegoat. Let's go to the scapegoat now. Let's go through this as quick as we can. This represents, there's propitiation, but this represents expiation. Exit. You know, it's, it's where the exit gets removed from. So there's expiation. There's propitiation, that act done in your behalf, but then there's expiation. Now, you got to think about this poor little goat. Because after he sacrificed the one goat, he came out to this goat. Oh, man, I'm sure glad I didn't, you know, suffer like that guy did. Come here, come here, quick, quick. Now I'm going to lay my hands on your head, and I'm going to impute the sins of the whole nation to you. Oh, I think I'd rather die. 
So the priest lays his hands on his head. I don't know how he did it, but apparently he was to confess all the sins. The priest did it. So we get in the cycle of confess, repent, confess, repent, confess, repent. You know what? Once and for all, done. He came. He laid his hands. You know, every single thing. You know, every single time you screw up, say, I was stupid. I'm acting out of my nature. Smarten up. What's your problem? I'm a child of God. Now, that poor, imagine that poor goat. Oh, oh, oh. Man, a lot of junk got laid on him. And then they, they specifically found a qualified person which you knew, because if this goat is going to represent all of our sins, then you want to make sure whoever's taking that away is strong and fit and could do the job. Because you don't want to be having breakfast the next day and go, oh my God, the goat's back, the goat's here. Because you know? that's the scapegoat. We want to make sure that somebody fit's going to take him into the wilderness, gone forever. So it represents expiation, it represents the removal of sin, restored union with God, and it deals with guilt. Say guilt. How many have committed some sins, confessed them to the Lord, and you're still guilty over it? All heads, heads closed, eyes bowed. You know, it's funny how guilt lingers. You know, the problem with theirs, it says it couldn't deal with, it couldn't penetrate to the heart of the issue. It couldn't cleanse people from guilt. You see, that happens a lot with people. And guilt is an ugly, guilt is the elevator music of our lives. It's what people walk around in. Guilt, they say, the Meneer, the Mirth Manier Clinic, I think they said, we could solve 90% of people's problems if we could just get rid of guilt. People walk around guilty. It's a terrible thing. Psalm 103, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, which means it will never see itself again. Sin, go east. It's gone forever. It'll never return. Gone. If you're thinking globally, you think, whoop, another year, oh, it's back again. No, as far as the east is from the west, I mean, sin is gone forever. You'll never, ever see it again. It is done. As far as the east is from the west, he, he, he removed our transgression from us. Give me another slide there. Isaiah 43, 25. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. Hello. God, why, why are you so freely forgiving me for my sake? For my own sake, I'm doing it. For God's own sake, to, to satisfy his incredible love for you, he obliterates your sin and removes it from you. And listen, he says, I will not remember your sins. Isn't that awesome? But you remember your sins. You remember the sins of other people against you. But you know what? They're all removed. Micah 7, 19. He will again have compassion on us. He will subdue our iniquities. He will cast out all our sins, and he'll cast them into the depths of the sea. And that's why I named this, you know what I named this sermon? Wow! Do I feel amazing? Because you know, that's what atonement should do for you. It should make you feel amazing. When you see that the sacrifice has been done, and you see that the scapegoat was taken in the wilderness, your sin are gone, you should feel like, I feel good. Man, when you really get a revelation of this, you should feel awesome. If you're waiting for a more awesome day, there isn't a more awesome day. It's done. You are condemned to every day opening your eyes going, another day of joy and victory. Because <laughs> God doesn't change his mind. He's full on nuts about you every day. It's not better or worse. It's not good days, bad days. It's full on hot heat of his love every day committed to your victory. Why? Because of the finished work of the cross. And to satisfy his own intense love for you. Oh, my goodness. And if you, you know, make sure you wake up at 5, read 30 scriptures, and only listen to Hosanna music on your radio in the car, then you'll have a better day. So a lot of people believe that. They're adding stuff to the finished work of the cross. It's the finished work of the cross, and you got to do this stuff to be really special. 
I'm sorry, I, I, I heard the brakes go on. I heard a couple of cows just go, if you like doing that, keep doing it. But if you think it has any redemptive quality in your life, it's all good. And you know, if you're doing it, don't do it to get brownie points with God. Do it because you love him. If you're doing it trying to get more out of them, you're doing it for the wrong reason. You should do it just because I enjoy my God. I pray because I love talking to him. I listen to Christian music because I love it expresses his greatness. You do it all because you understand it's done. And you don't do it because you're trying to get brownie points with the old guy upstairs. He's already pleased with you. You can't become more righteous than you are. Now live out of that and let everything initiate from that. Can I get an amen, please? I know some of you are like, you just took away my Tonka toy. You took away my whole reason for living. Well, if that was your reason for living, you had a substitute. You really weren't hooked up to God. Let those who have understanding understand. Give me another slide, quick. Proverbs 14, 9. Fools make fun of guilt, but the godly acknowledge it, and they seek reconciliation. Fools make fun of guilt. Guilt is anger directed at yourself for what you did or didn't do or what happened to you. It's guilt. I deserve that. All right, give me another slide. Just flying along. Bishop Robert South. He that is conscious of guilt cannot bear the innocence of others. That's interesting. If you're conscious of guilt, you can't bear the innocence of others. Terrible, you know? Well, how can you act like we're all free? How can you act like life is pain-free? How can you act like everything's good all the time? How do you do that, Pastor? Every time you just say, it's all good. It's not all good, Pastor. And I don't like it when you say that all the time. How can you say it's all good? Because it's all good! And even if it isn't good, he's good, and he's at work for good in my mess, and therefore I confess right now, it's all good. But you know, those good people hanging around with them just annoys a person who is stuck in their own trap of trying to achieve self-righteousness because they're doing their own scapegoat stuff. Somebody's got to pay. Scapegoating. It's amazing that that little goat became a scapegoat. And something so negative is something where Jesus said, put it all on me. Every bit of it, push it all on me. I will take every hurt, every pain, every disappointment. I will be the big time scapegoat. Every hurt, every disappointment. Even though I don't deserve it, it didn't come from me or anything, put it all on me. I'll take it all and I'll separate you from it once and for all. He became the scapegoat. You know, we, you know, well, you know, well, if my father was a better father, you know, jeepers, life would be good. That's scapegoating. If I got brought up in a better home, you know, this didn't happen to me when I was younger. You know, this person, you know, was mean to me once and therefore I'll never be right. That's scapegoating. We do it in politics. My life is miserable because somebody's in power. If only we could get the person I want in power, then I would feel good. What crazy mechanisms we embrace. And we Christians get involved in that stuff. We keep on thinking that, that there's, there's something, there's this scapegoating factor. We are, we are totally drunk on it today, totally drunk. Guilt upon the conscience like rust on iron defiles. It consumes gnawing and creeping into it. It does what it lasts. It eats it out, eats the very heart of the substance, eats away at the metal. If you let guilt stay alive in your life, it'll crush you. Give me another slide because I got to go. Hebrews 9, 14, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, who, how did he do it? How did Jesus do the cross? How did he do it? How did he do it? He did it who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleansed, the, cleansed your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. What's a dead work? A dead work is you trying to get yourself back into a place of being pleasing with God. Because you feel, you know that you're free from sin, but you still feel guilty. I, God, I shouldn't have done that. 
I can't believe I did that. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. I just, what can I do to get that back? You're stepping into dead works. And you see, who took you from your first love? That you see, you were in your first love. First love told, totally set you free. And now you're, you're stepping into a place where you're trying to earn your favor with me when you never could and never can. Dead works is religion. And it says it'll cleanse you because religion attacks your conscience. A religion says, I wouldn't go to that church. I'm not good enough to go there. Are you kidding? You're not bad enough to come. But religion is all about it. It's dead works. And that's what it was talking about in Revelation. Dead works, that church in Ephesus, it was so powerful. It had entered into a place of religious performance. And he said, why did you get into dead works? Repent of the dead works and come back to your first love where everything was initiated out of a passionate love for me. Anyways, I hardly have time to finish this. Isaiah 53, this is beautiful. Isaiah, remember Isaiah, he was bruised for our transgressions. I mean, the chastisement that brought us peace was put on him because Jesus was our scapegoat. And the Lord was laid on him the iniquity of us all he was oppressed and he was afflicted yet he opened not his mouth he was led as a lamb to the slaughter and a sheep before the shears is silent he opened not his mouth he took everything that he didn't deserve he took everything that you did i did everybody ever did of all time everything that hitler did every nasty messed up leader ever did he took the sins of the whole world on himself once and for all and he did it without saying he just said it's not fair i don't deserve any of this and yet as he is so are we in this world and yet we try to manifest the love of god through contentious carnal ways of trying to achieve justice you know how he achieved justice he took all the pain he walked into a situation he embraced all the conflict he became the scapegoat and he took everything and all the captives were set free because he embraced it. Let me give you another slide. Scapegoat. A good scapegoat is nearly as welcome as a solution for a problem. Industries. There's industries that got into a nasty problem and they look good to our shareholders. They found somebody in the company that they could blame for it and they said, well, this person was it. They, we fired him. He's no longer involved in our company anymore. So we, you guys are safe now because we got rid of the problem. So, you know, his name's Jack, you know, and we fired Jack. He's out of here. You guys can trust us again. And people scapegoat all the time. Is anybody here the black sheep of your family? Anybody, all eyes closed, heads bowed. Because you know, we do that, we're, we're trained to do it in families. We're trained to do it in families. We get there at Christmas and we all hope they don't come. And if they do come, I hope they're in a better mood this year. Oh my God, she's so annoying. I don't have any sisters, so don't worry about it, you know? But there's all kinds, we are conditioned with that whole scapegoating thing. Jesus became the scapegoat once and for all. And as he is, so are we in this world. So you know what? Don't. Be identified as a scapegoat, but when you walk into a situation, take all the garbage in the room, swallow it up, crush it, and bring the liberty of Christ. Let me give you another side. Our culture today addicted to scapegoating. Let me move on because I got to go. Luke 8, 29, that's so awesome. And this would be a great sermon someday. I won't preach the whole thing today. But I really believe, not literally, but in a literary form, that the, the demons in that fell at Gadarenes were the words of a whole city, were the words of a whole area, that that guy was suffered from the condemnation of all kinds of people, and he was possessed, and he was messed up because of a town that loved to make sure that their problem was chained outside the city. They took one man. They didn't just chain him outside the city. They put guards there to make sure that he was still chained. And every once in a while, he got away, and he came back into the city. No, he went into the wilderness. But they went into the wilderness to find him and chain him back in the tombs and guard him because the whole city is free and we all have peace because we've chained the problem over here. 
There's a lot of time that people get peace because somebody else got blamed for the problem. I don't do marriage counseling anymore because I'm really good at it. People come in, they want marriage counseling. They say, well, you stop doing this and you stop doing that. And I mean, that's awful. I can't believe you're treating your wife like that. And you need to realize, don't try to get all your needs met in him. Get your needs met in Christ. Leave him alone. Quit nagging him. Da, 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 da. No, stop it. Well, you're a mean pastor. I agree. He is a mean pastor. He pointed out all our faults. He didn't sugarcoat it or do anything. You know what? I love you. We agree together. He's a mean pastor. We're leaving this church and now we're united in the fact that you're a mean pastor. I've saved so many marriages by being the mean pastor. So I just won't counsel anymore because I don't have the grace for it. Because sometimes it's so glaring obvious what is wrong, but it's apparent that people still want to cover all the problems. Could you help us? Yeah, I could, but you're not ready to be helped. Okay, sorry about that. But a lot of that goes on. It's all scapegoating. But Jesus became the scapegoat. Blessed are you. Listen, blessed are you when people revile you, persecute you, and say all kinds of evil things against you and false things against you. Blessed are you because they did the same thing to the prophets. They did the same thing to Jesus. And you know, in those places, don't become defensive. Don't try to defend yourself. Just go, yum, yum. <laughs> Praise Jesus because it says it's more blessed. You are more blessed when you embrace that stuff and you just take it in. Wow, pastor, that was so much fun today. I, got, I think I got one more slide. Maybe two. I think I got two. I'm going to read them just because I'd have sermon retention if I didn't read them for you. Sorry I've kept you so long. Sorry. Leviticus 19, 33 and 34. Do not take advantage of foreigners. So you're reading Leviticus. A lot of good stuff in Leviticus. Do not take advantage of foreigners who live among you in your land. Treat them like native-born Israelites. Love them as you love yourself. Remember that you were once a foreigner living in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. So many plights on cultures. So many plights today because people exalt our differences rather than saying, you are my brother. The atonement is all about union with each other and union with God. And I thank God that there's diversity. There's diversity of ethnic background. There's diversity of opinions. There's diversity even of beliefs. You don't all agree with me all the time. And I'm glad because I'm not always right. But I'm glad we can be diverse with each other and still absolutely love each other. Because our union it was achieved on the day of atonement. It wasn't achieved because I want all of us to be in the same room thinking exactly the same stuff. That's a weird group of people. One more slide and I will let you go. Romans 4.25. He was handed over to die, propitiation, because of our sins. He was raised to life, expiation, to make us right with God. He was handed over to death for our trespasses. He was raised for our justification. Are you justified? Are you sanctified? Are you glorified? Done, done, done. Amen. Come on, stand up with me. I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, help us. Amen? Say, Lord Jesus, help us. Did anybody get any stuff there that helped you at all? Is anybody glad we read the book of Leviticus? I hope so. That's one of the most powerful chapters in the whole Old Covenant. And yet some people say, I'm not going to bother with Leviticus. You'll miss something powerful if you miss that chapter. And what was your role in that? Absolute rest. Listen. I want you to bow your heads and pray. Everybody pray. I want to say one thing, that there are tarts and treats and stuff 
for sale over there from our youth. They're going to a, a youth conference, and it's an awesome time for them to just get immersed for a few days in the presence of God, and I want them all to go. And we had a gift this week from somebody to help with that. I'm so grateful. But if you buy all that stuff over there, have a tart. I preach too long. Your sugar's going funny. Go get a tart. Give some money to the kids and be a blessing to them. Amen. Everybody else, bow your heads. Close your eyes. Listen. Pray. 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 Maybe you're here today and you, you've been on the religious treadmill. You've been trying to make yourself pleasing to God. And you've kind of always wondered, did I get this wrath thing figured out? Is there? Am, am I going to know for absolutely sure that, you know, if I did die? I mean, remember the pray? If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And I used to hate that prayer because is tonight my night? But listen, do you know that you're free from the wrath that is, was already put on sin? The wrath of God has been fully released on the sin of mankind, past, present, and future. Everything about you that you might think is disappointing to God, it's not, because it all got poured out. His wrath, all the wrath, got poured out on sin. And your sin has been obliterated. The enemy of your soul has been destroyed, and you're absolutely free. And all you have to do is say, yes. You know, if you've never done that, if you've never said yes to Jesus, you've never said thank you for being my Savior, I want you to do it today. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to count to three. If you've never done that at three, you're going to throw your hand up. All right? It's nobody looking around. It's just you. It's you and God, and He loves you. You ready? One, two, three. Just throw your hand really high. Throw it way up. Thank you. Anyone else? Anyone else? Just throw your hand up really high. All right. All right. You can put your hands down. Let's, let's pray. We're all going to pray. You ready? You pray. Lift up your voice. We're all going to pray with you. But lift up your voice. Say this. Lord Jesus, thank you for taking all my sin. I declare today that I'm forgiven, that I'm healed, and I'm free. I receive you as my Lord and as my Savior. So Holy Spirit, come into my life. Testify right now that I am a child of God. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm going to get those who are ministering at the altar day to come, and they're going to pray with you. If you need any ministry at all or just have anything you need prayer for, things get altered at the altar. If you're having problems with your husband, bring him with you. And just, it's all good. Going to get, God's good. Good things happen here. These folks are good at praying for you and setting you free. Father, bless this house. Bless each and every one. Just thank you so much for your kindness, your grace. Thank you for this beautiful congregation. Thank you that we're serving you in this beautiful city. Father, use us more. Stretch and expand our reach, we pray. Father, bless right now in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name.